0: O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our Rock and our Redeemer. Amen. If you've been with us over these past weeks, you've known that in the season of Lent, these 40 days before Easter, each week we've been focusing on a lie that we love to believe. A lie that we love to believe. First week, we looked at the lie that the ends justify the means, right? That, that age-old lie that if we have a good goal in mind, we can do anything we want in order to get there. Lie, cheat, beg, borrow, and steal. We can do anything we want as long as the goal is good. And yet, we learned, looking at the story of Jesus' temptation in the wilderness, that even Jesus was offered a shortcut and did not take it, because Jesus wants us to know that how we get to our destination is just as important as the destination itself. How we live, how we act, how we treat one another defines our journey as Christians. The second week, Pastor Mike helped us to look at the lie that might makes right. Whoever has the most stuff, the biggest army, the most power, they must be right. We read the story of Jesus and King Herod and how Jesus did not fear Herod's power because Jesus knew that it is faithfulness to the will of God that is the strongest and most powerful force. The power to redeem and heal and forgive sinners. Last week I had the chance to look at the lie that we're not as bad as them. The way that we try to cope with our own brokenness by pointing to other people who have it worse off, so we think. Well, yeah, I'm a sinner, but look at that guy. I'm not as bad as him. But we remember that Jesus reminds us that all of us have sinned. No sin is worse than any other. The only difference are those who have realized our sin and confessed to Jesus who forgives. We are as bad as them and they are as bad as us. But thanks be to God that Jesus is better than us both. So halfway through Lent, three weeks down... I hope you're feeling pretty good. You've committed yourself to this kind of life, a life believing in Jesus and not these lies. A life that believes the way we should act should be defined by who we follow. A life that trusts in the will of God instead of the powers of this world. A life of repentance and forgiveness that leads to freedom. And if we've done all that, we've accomplished a lot. And you might start to feel pretty good about yourself. But I have to warn us. There is a lurking temptation in Christianity. Christianity has a way of actually working. If you follow after Christ, you will begin to feel better, feel relieved, feel freedom, feel forgiveness. And you'll start to think, I'm pretty good. And you start to even begin to think that God might love you more. And that's the lie I want to talk about today. That God loves us more because we're so good. God loves us more than those other people. God loves us more than those sinners. God loves us more than those people who go to that church down the road. God loves us more than my cousin because let me tell you, he's a bad guy. God loves us more, and that's a temptation which sneaks up on us before we even know it. In the 15th chapter of Luke, I like to call this the lost chapter of Luke, not because we misplaced it over the years, but because it deals with three stories about being lost and being found. The chapter begins with the Pharisees accusing Jesus of being a sinner. Now, the Pharisees knew that God loved them more, and they could point out a sinner from a mile away, and they see Jesus, and they accuse Him of doing a very sinful thing, eating with tax collectors. That's a bad sin, particularly as we come to the month of April, right? And so Jesus responds to this accusation, not by defending himself, but by telling three stories. He tells a story about a lost sheep and the shepherd who leaves everything behind to go and find the one sheep. He then tells a story about a woman who loses a coin, one out of ten, and she rips up her house, throws over every piece of furniture, looking for the one lost coin. And then he tells a story about... Two sons and a father. Now, if he hadn't told that third story, you might get the idea that the Pharisees were right and that God does love us more. God loves us like a a lost sheep and a lost coin and would do anything because we're that valuable. See, he loves us that much. But it's this third story in which Jesus, as he often does like a good preacher, goes on just a bit too long and messes the whole thing up. He tells the story of a lost son. A son goes up to his father one day and says, Dad, I'd like the inheritance now, please. Which is a really polite way of saying, You know, I kind of wish you were dead. And his father, more foolish than I, gives it to him. He leaves for a distant country. What's fun, and, and, and that word that Jesus uses in Greek really is more like Las Vegas. He goes to a place that good Jewish boys and girls wouldn't want to go to. And while there, he spends all of his money in all the worst ways imaginable. And when he is broke, he gets a job feeding pigs. A good Jewish boy feeding pigs, which are not kosher. What's worse, he's envious of the pigs they get to eat and he barely has food. And just as he's contemplating scooping up some of the feed for himself, he comes to his senses and realizes, you know what, my dad's servants eat better than I do. What am I doing here in the mess? And the cunning son figures out, you know what, I'll go back home I'll throw myself on my father's mercy. I'll ask not to get my old bedroom back, but put me out with the servants, and I'll work in the fields. And so he sets off. And of course, you know the rest of the story. His father's on the front porch, and he sees him coming across the hill. He gets down off the porch, runs full speed, grabs him in a big bear hug and and his son is is trying to give his speech that he's practiced and rehearsed and he can't even get halfway through it until his dad cuts him off and yells for the servants, bring him a robe, clean him up, put a ring on his finger. He's back. He's one of the family again. Go get the best calf. Let's have a party. And then there's the older brother, right? Right? Now, are any of you the older sibling in your family? I I, I can't relate to you. I'm the youngest of four. And I imagine that if you asked my brother and my two sisters, um, they would all agree that mom loved me more. (laughs) Uh, To be honest, it's because I was the best. (laughs) I never snuck out. I never... Stole the car? I never did any of that stuff. I was always home before curfew. Mom loved me more because I deserved it. But there's the older brother, the diligent son who never left home. He stayed and worked all day every day in his father's fields. He comes home and he hears a party in full swing. I wonder if he thought, you know what, finally dad has thrown me a party for all the good that I've done. It's probably a surprise, because he didn't tell me about it. Just then, one of the servants is walking up and he says, hey, what, what's going on, what's going on? He's like, oh, your, your brother's back, and, and your dad has thrown a party. Can't you see the older brother's face as it falls into anger he refuses to go in and he's outside sulking by himself At some point later the older brother is out there and the dad comes and and asks for him to come back in and he pleads for him to come inside and and the older brother argues that this son doesn't deserve any of this. He doesn't deserve a party, doesn't deserve mercy, doesn't deserve forgiveness. He doesn't deserve to be called a son in this family. And then the older brother reveals his real pain when he says, I've worked for you every day of my life and you have never thrown a party for me or my friends. You've never A party for me. Now, I do have a confession to make that I, although I am the youngest by birth, I have a tendency to be an older brother when it comes to the church. See, I've always been a Christian, I grew up in church. My mom was superintendent of Sunday school. Anytime the church door was open, we were there. I've never strayed to a distant country, never wandered from my faith. I followed God my whole life. You know what? I feel God should love me more. Should love me more than all those who've squandered his gifts, neglected his call, and have only come to him when they are desperate and out of other options. Now Jesus ends the story with the older brother still outside and the party inside still going full steam and the father standing at the door saying, I've always loved you too, but let's come rejoice. Which leaves us with the final question, who's really lost in the end? because I do have a secret to tell you. God really does love each of us more. Not more than one another. God loves us each equally, but God does love each of us more than we know, more than we can admit. You see, God loves us so much, He'll go looking for us like a a lost sheep who's run off. He loves us so much, he'll, he'll tear up the house looking for us like, a, like spare change. God loves us more, so much more that He'll forget what we said about Him. He'll forget all the mistakes we've made. He'll welcome us home and throw us a party that we don't deserve, even for those of us who don't even feel like we've done anything that needs forgiving. God loves us more. God loves us so much that He'll leave that party, come looking for us older brothers, and remind us that we too have a place at the party if we will just get out of our own way and come inside. God loves us more than anything, more than life itself. And in just a few weeks, We will see that love on full display as God in Jesus stretches His arms wide to embrace all of us. Every lost son and daughter, every older brother or sister, He's willing to give up everything, even Himself. To show us that God does indeed love each of us more. Amen.